Hello. Hello. Oh, I'm on. Um, is that all right? Cool. Hello. Can I, can I um, start by saying how honoured I am to be here um, in such an august uh, lineup? This, I've, I've not been to Design by Fire before, but this, this looks like a, a great conference, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Um, it feels a bit weird, I suppose, to be at a design conference and uh, not actually talking about design. Um, but I, I hope that most of you will agree that creativity has something to do with design, um, and I hope that I'll be able to share something today that, that, that may help you that may help you in your in your design work or at least in working with designers. Um, I got interested in, in this subject. Um, I have I have half my a first degree in psychology. I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not allowed to call myself a psychologist. I have a little bit of background in it. Um, but uh, I got interested in this because I work with um, a lot of designers. Um, I'm, I'm not really a designer so much these days myself. Um, and they, they all strike me as being very creative, as being able to think about things in ways that, are, that I, can't always, I can't always do. Um, so I suppose I got, I got interested in this partly out of, uh, partly out of anxiety or, or kind of uh, you know, low self-esteem, if you like, around designers. Um, as Johan said, uh, you know, some people are more creative than others, but perhaps, but I, I do believe that everybody has the potential to be creative in the right, in the right circumstances. Um, so I, I went, as part of my, my research around this, I, I, I went looking for, um, from, given the psychology background, I went looking to see what psychological science might have to, to tell me about creativity and uh, either to reassure me or to help me find ways to be, to be more creative myself. Um, and what interested me was that I, I actually, what I found out there was that there's actually quite a lot of crap. Um, I, I hope I'm not going to, uh, I, I may stir things up a little bit here perhaps, but uh, um, what I'd like to, to, uh, to, uh, to, sort of sh to share with you really is, is kind of a, a, few things that, uh, a few things that I will not be talking about for starters. Um, so I'm, this is, this is this, what I'm going to talk about here is, um, is really what I found in the psychological science literature. Um, so everything I'm going to present is based on empirical studies or it's based on theories that people have had based on, based on empirical studies. Um, so for those who are interested, um, the slides are actually up on, on SlideShare. I can happily share the link with you afterwards and the full academic references are, are in there. Um, but there's a, there are a couple of things that you might be thinking about which might be conspicuous by their absence. Um, so for example, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be talking about coloured hats. Um, you may be uh, familiar with, with Edward de Bono's um, theories of, 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 of six thinking hats, amongst other things. Um, apparently, the evidence for, for his approaches um, is actually quite weak. Um, they seem to work quite well with um, children with, with learning difficulties. Uh, for adults of normal intelligence, they're not shown to be any more effective than any other creativity techniques you might, you might employ. Now, Ed Bono's made quite a lot of money out of this, and I'm sure there's, there's you, when, I, when I've done this talk before, there's usually somebody at the end who says, I used a bono and I think it's fantastic. So I, I'm not disputing that you may get use out of it, but it's, it's, not as, it's not that much better than everything else as perhaps he makes it out as. The other thing that this is, this is not about is right brains and, and, and left brains. Um, this, is, this is something that sometimes corporate training people like to, like to impress on you, that we must all be more right brain thinking. Um, and I think there's, there's something in this as a metaphor for, for balancing logic, which business traditionally tends to reward um, with, with intuition. Um, but I think that's about as far as it goes, really. There's, there's the evidence, uh, there are a few functional asymmetries in the brain. So there are a few things that the left side of your brain may do differently from the right side. Um, language is a really good example of this. So in most right-handed people, um, it's processed mainly on the left. Um, in some left-handed people, it's processed on the right. 
and in some other left-handed people, it's kind of it's kind of spread between the two. So I think it's it's a good example of how you know actually th there is no real such thing as 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 even in even in one of the most specialised things that your brain does, there's actually very little of it that that's really on one side or the other. And anything you do of any complexity, you you need to use bits of both sides of your brain working together. Um, so. As we talk about, in order to, to study something, of course, first you have to define it. Um, and uh, actually, a lot of scientific papers haven't even bothered to define creativity. Um, so it's, uh, there's um, one old model from uh, 1950 by a, a guy called Guilford. Um, and this is one of the, this is one of a, ni a sort of nice, simple one. Um, came up with the idea that creative ability was, was about four different things. Um, and so this is fluency, which is the ability to have a lot of ideas. Uh, flexibility, which is the ability to have lots of different types of ideas. Uh, originality, which is the ability to produce unusual ideas. Note, unusual and not necessarily good. Um, and uh, elaboration, which is the ability to, to develop those ideas. Um, so in the real world, you know, ideas must not only have to be original, <laughs> they also have to be appropriate. Um, so there's one relatively simple model um, that, that sort of looks at how we go about being creative. Um, as, as three steps. Uh, so this is finding good problems, um, solving those problems, and, and being able to implement solutions to them. And the, what's interesting about this is that we, we often think of creativity as being able to come up with, with crazy ideas. But uh, what, what this says is that in, in real life, a lot of the challenge is, is about uh, defining the right problem to try and solve in the first place. And then once you've had the ideas, being able to do something with them. Um, and there's a, there's a quote from, uh, from, from Scott Adams, which I think is uh, the, the Dilbert guy, which uh, is kind of speaks to some of this, which I think is that uh, creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes, um, and art is knowing which ones to keep. So it's not just having the ideas, it's, it's being able to, to do something with them. So when psychologists look at creativity, they, they tend to, to sort of follow one of four lines of, of inquiry. Um, the first one of these is, is to study the product, which is the output of uh, the outputs of creativity. So that might be looking at taking Beethoven's Eroica Symphony and looking at how, and how Beethoven got there and what it is that, that makes it different from, from, the, from other less creative works. Um, the second one is to, to study the process, uh, which is how people produce creative products. Um, and interestingly, there, there's actually kind of, there's, there's not a, a great deal of, of, uh, of very specific stuff that's been done here. What's been found is actually quite woolly. Um, and, and some of the stuff that is not woolly is, is not terribly practical. So, for example, uh, Robin Dunbar, who's the, uh, the, the, the guy who came up with the idea of Dunbar's number. Uh, the, communities are, uh, the communities tend to sort of form a maximum size of about 150. Uh, so he did a two-year ethno ethnographic study of, of biologists and, and creativity in their work. Um, and the, his top finding was that there was a lot of hard work involved, um, which, is, which, is, which is great, but it, it doesn't really tell us very much. Um, so the two that, are, that I think are the most, uh, the most, I found the most useful in terms of, in terms of, in terms of thinking about how we, we might be more creative um, are the last two. So there's uh, the person. This is the, the personal characteristics that tend to produce creativity. There's a lot of work being done around that. Um, and the press. Now, that's, a, I think, rather fancy word that, that's being picked just because it starts with a P. Um, but, but what that means is, is the environment and how this can influence creativity. And there's, there's some interesting stuff there as well, which uh, helps us understand how and why people are creative. So this is a huge, huge, huge topic. I've got some references at the end if anybody wants to follow up on it. 
Um, there are lots of interesting things we could talk about here. There's the, the very disputed link between creativity and mental illness. Uh, there are tips for enhancing creativity, the role of the unconscious, um, personality, how we measure creativity. Is there such a thing as creativity in general, or is it specific to, to particular types of thing you might be interested in? Um, but for, for lack of time, uh, I'm going to try and cover uh, personality, uh, motivation, and some uh, perhaps crazy sounding, some crazy, some not so crazy sounding tips for enhancing creativity. So the first one of these is personality. I hear some laughs. Do you guys know who this, who this, this guy? Okay. Um, nothing other than the fact that it was a nice photo. So there's, there's, uh, there's not really a lot that we can do to change our personalities, um, but there's, people tend to like to hear about personality stuff in, in the context of psychology. Um, and obviously it has some implications for how we, we tolerate and, uh, and, and work with other people. So the, the model of personality, there are lots of models of personality, but the one, the one that has the best evidence base behind it, which psychologists generally use now, um, is called the Big Five. Um, this has been around for, for, for about 40 years now. Um, and there are, so this says that there are five dimensions of, of personality. Um, the first one is openness to experience, which is the extent to which you are inventive and curious uh, versus being cautious and conservative. There's a conscientiousness, which is the extent to which you are sort of efficient and organized versus this is kind of easygoing and, and, and much more relaxed about things. Um, extroversion, which is the extent to which you are outgoing and energetic versus more withdrawn. Um, agreeableness, which is basically how nice you are or how important you think it is to be nice to people. Um, and neuroticism, which nobody, nobody ever likes, wants to think of themselves as being neurotic, but this is really about sort of how sensitive and nervous you are versus, kind of, versus secure and, and, and confident. And there are a couple of these that, that have a, a particular relationship with, with creativity, and this has been shown across lots and lots of different studies. Um, the, of the, the, the one most associated with creativity is, is openness to experience. Um, some, of this, uh, some of this science stuff sometimes sounds a, bit, a little bit obvious, I know, I, I know but uh, as, uh, not, always, not always surprising. Um, so within openness to experience, there are, there are five sub-dimensions of, of personality, and three of these are particularly strongly related to, to creativity. So there's, there's openness to fantasy, which is having a good imagination. Sounds like an obvious thing to be, to be related. Uh, there is aesthetics, which is having artistic interests of, of one kind or another. Um, and there's ideas, which is being curious and, and, and smart and generally kind of liking challenges. Um, and so all of those things you know, sound quite obvious with, with, you know, in retrospect, are, are pretty strongly correlated with, with people doing well on creative tests, which tends to mean in the lab things like uh, coming up with uses for a brick um, or, or writing poetry. <laughs> um, but we assume that this, this generalises to, to other things as well. Um, there are three other sub-dimensions of openness to experience, uh, which are also related and uh, also seem to be correlated with people being creative, um, although less strongly. This is feelings. This is the, the strength with which you experience and, and value feelings. Um, actions, uh, which is liking to try new things and having lots of interests. And values, which is being unconventional and, and, and liberal, um, so as opposed to, to, as opposed to conservative. And I think that there's, there are, these, these are more weakly correlated. Um, there, are, there are exceptions here, you can, you can imagine. So the fact that you like to try new things does not necessarily mean that you are particularly good at creating new things. Um, and you know, it is possible to be uh, anybody who, is, who doesn't consider themselves to be a liberal and is bristling at the suggestion that perhaps they may not be creative. It is possible to be, uh, it is possible to be more conservative in mindset and, and still to be uh, creative. 
So there's uh, another dimension of personality that has a particular relationship with, with creativity, um, and this is conscientiousness. Uh, now, conscientiousness is, uh, generally sounds like we, we normally think is a good thing. Um, it's often in job descriptions, you must be, you must be conscientious. Um, and conscientiousness is made up of things like ambition, discipline, responsibility, and, and, and self-control. And at work, it tends to manifest itself in things like being, being good at doing stuff to a deadline and turning up for work on time and being kind of tidy and, and, and organised. Um, but it, it has actually tends to have a, a dark side. So, in, at least in the arts... Um, studies have shown that people who are score high on conscientiousness tend to be less creative, um, and this this doesn't this doesn't uh, hold hold up very well in, in in science, which perhaps a bit of a, a a special case because in science you have to do a lot of detail regardless of of the kind of work you're doing. You, there's always a lot of detail and there's always a, there's a degree of slog, and so you have to have a certain level of conscientiousness to to, to get anywhere, um, and uh, so you have to be able to do that before you can even be creative. So it's not it's not so closely related. Um, but I think that, you know, stuff like interaction design and user experience is a, is a combination of, 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 of both of these. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, the, there's probably a balance there. Um, I guess my point is that the, the ability to, to come into work on time is not perhaps as, uh, as, as positive as, the, as, as you might think. Does anybody, who recognises this, this poster? There's a, a, a few hands. I've used a British, I've used a British reference here and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a, a few hands go up. This is, um, this is a, a, a great example of, of where conscientiousness is not always, uh, doesn't always go hand in hand with creativity. Um, it's a poster that's about 30 odd years old now by the, by the British designer Peter Saville. Um, and this was, uh, for those of you who, who know anything about the Manchester music scene over the last sort of 30 years or have heard of Factory Records, New Order, Joy Division, Happy Mondays, all of that, um, this was a, a poster for the very first Factory Records night. And uh, Peter Saville wasn't famous at all at the time, and, and he was up, but he was commissioned to, to do this poster. Um, and he took so long choosing the, the right shade of yellow for the, the precise shade of yellow that he wanted to use that he didn't get the posters finished until the gig itself. So he turns up at this gig with all these posters and goes, look at them, I've got exactly the right shade of yellow. Um, but of course they were completely useless for, the, for their intended purpose, which was marketing. So fantastic creativity win, total conscientiousness fail. Um, I threw this one in as well. This is a, this is a, there's a nice web designer stereotype in here. Um, so uh, there's a study, a, a study um, about three years ago show, uh, on advertising and design workers, uh, which showed that the ones who were more neurotic, extrovert, and, and open to experience were generally more creative. Um, and the ones who were more conscientious were, on average, not true for everybody, uh, but on average, um, somewhat less creative. So again, if you, if, you are, if you are neurotic, please feel good about yourself. Okay, and this, this kind of stuff has, you know, as I said, there's not much you can do to change your personality, but this kind of stuff does have implications for how you work with people and how you manage people. Um, so we found that uh, people who, who, who score high on openness to experience um, tend to be more creative if you give them open-ended tasks. So you tell them what it, is you want them, uh, what it is you want them to achieve, and then you let them work out how to do it for themselves. Um, people who are very conscientious will be less creative if, you think, if they think that you are breathing down their neck and watching their every move. So they are able to be creative, just you know, back off and give them a bit of space. Um, and people who are low on emotional stability, um, and particularly people who are also introverted, so the uh, people who are more neurotic and, 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 and more shy, do really badly when they think they're being evaluated. Um, so, you know, in general, with creative type work, give people open-ended tasks, don't breathe down their necks, and don't make them feel like they're being evaluated at, at, at every turn. Okay, 
motivation. So the second one is um, motivation. Do you guys have this guy here? Anybody? No, okay. There's uh, any people with young children may, 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 with whom I'm not one, but, but may, may bristle, but no many, may, may bristle at the sight of this guy. He sings, uh, he comes on children's TV and sings songs about exercise. <coughs> okay. So with, with motivation, um, I, I, got into this, I got into this really, um, in fact, one of the things that sparked this whole interest in, in psychology of creativity was a colleague of mine read a, read a book, I think, by Dan Pink, um, which, uh, from which he, his takeaway was that intrinsic motivation, um, which is doing something because you enjoy it or get personal meaning out of it, is the most important thing for being creative. Um, and he took this a little bit further and said, well, this means that giving people pay rises is bad. Um, now, he, he at the time was working with the directors of the company, and I thought, this is, this, is, this is not good. If you withhold, it may be true that people have to enjoy what they do, but surely it can't be good to, to tell them that they can't have a pay rise. Surely that's not, not, not good for their morale. Um, so I, this is what sort of prompted me to dig into this a bit, a, a bit further. So a lot of the debate boils down to these two factors. So there's the intrinsic motivation, which, as I said, is, you know, do you enjoy what you do? Do you, do you find meaning in it? Um, and extrinsic motivation. So these are external factors, things like money or praise or fame, um, you know, any, anything that's, that's, that's not directly related to the task, but, but, but is sort of gives you external, external benefit from it. And uh, so there's a lot of evidence, as my colleague found, that suggests that high levels of intrinsic motivation uh, to, to do things lead to more creative outputs. So surprise, surprise, if you enjoy what you're doing, you're more creative. Um, and this works even if you just prime people to think about how much they enjoy something before they do it. So, for example, one study gave, um, gave some students um, poems to write, but before they wrote the poems, some of them had to write a, another piece about how much they enjoyed writing poetry. Um, and those people turned out to, be, uh, to produce more creative poems. Um, and there's a really nice quote here from, uh, these are the, the, uh, the Masaru Ibuka, who was the founder of Sony. Um, the, first the first principles of incorporation of Sony include this, this line, which is, to establish a place of work where engineers can feel the joy of technological innovation, be aware of their mission to society, and work to their heart's content. And this is all about intrinsic motivation. Okay. So the, the, the extrinsic motivation stuff, where there's um, where the... the, the some of the, the negative effects of this um, are around... That. So if you, it turns out if you offer people a reward to, find, to do something that they already find interesting, um, you may decrease their intrinsic motivation and, and thus their creativity. So uh, there's some study, a couple of studies um, that looked at kids drawing pictures, um, which showed that you know, if, you, if you offer them rewards... The kids who enjoy drawing pictures, if you continuously offer them rewards for drawing pictures, uh, they start to enjoy drawing less because they start to rationalise it as I'm, I'm, I'm drawing for, for money. Um, but actually, this, is, this isn't sort of always bad. So if people are, are doing something relatively routine, uh, not particularly open-ended, um, then actually thinking about money status or, or, or being praised doesn't, doesn't hurt. Um, if they're doing something open-ended, it's not particularly helpful if they're, they're only doing it for the money. So, but the, uh, the relationship between the two, uh, between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation is, is, is quite complicated. Extrinsic motivation isn't always bad. Um, if you're interested in this, there's a psychologist called uh, Teresa Amabile who works at uh, Harvard Business School, I believe, um, who's, who's written lots and lots about this and trying to unpick the, the complexities of the relationship. And it turns out that there are, there are two types of extrinsic motivators. So there are, there's uh, the complicated, the, the Named, so named synergistic extrinsic motivators, which are, are things that 
work from outside to motivate you, but help to support your intrinsic motivations. So these are things that help you feel like you are doing well at the task um, or provide you information which helps you to do it. So they act to support you in, in, in being creative. And then there are other things which are, are sort of non-synergistic extrinsic motivators, um, which are things that you have to do, but which don't help your um, intrinsic motivation, perhaps because they make you feel controlled or constrained in how you do it. Um, so there's a, a nice example of, um, of, of a study that looked at uh, children doing paintings um, and said some of they were told that uh, one group was told that uh, they had to be neat and look after the materials because it was a rule and that was what they had to do. And another group was told that they had to be neat and tidy and, and, and tidy up after themselves um, for the next children who were coming in. Um, and the ones who were told that they had to do something because it was a rule produced less creative paintings than the, one, the ones who were, who were told that they, they, had to, they had to do it for the sake of the other children because that was, just, that was neutral and balanced and, and seen as not being controlling. Um, and at work, this is uh, the difference between the kind of QA, quality assurance mentality some people have in design, which is, uh, you know, I'm supervising you because I think you're going to get it wrong if I, if I, if I, if you, if I don't. Um, and a more supportive mentality, which is sort of working with somebody saying, well, I, this is really interesting what you're doing. You know, I, I think you're doing, you're doing well at it. How can I help you to, to improve? So by managing the people in a supportive way, you help them to be more creative. I think the, another, another word in, in defense of, uh, of extrinsic motivation, um, there's uh, some case studies of, of people like Darwin and, and Newton who, who, who changed the fields in which they work, which is one of the defining characteristics of, of really big creativity. Um, suggest, these studies suggest that they combined intrinsic motivation, um, so being really interested in what they were completely absorbed by what they were doing, with a, with a strong desire to be famous as well. Um, so this is, uh, it, it, is, it, is okay to, uh, it is okay to have an ego as long as you enjoy what you're doing. Um, so if you remember the, the, uh, the process from, from earlier on, it turns out that uh, different types of motivation can help you at different stages in the, in the creative process. Um, so for example, when you are at the, uh, the fun idea generation stage, loving what you do really helps you have more and better ideas. But when you get towards the end, uh, where you're implementing your ideas, which sometimes is a bit kind of hard work and, and boring and, a bit, and, a, and a, it can be a bit of a drag at times, uh, the, the, thought of, uh, the thought of the money and the recognition that you're, you're going to get at the end of this, uh, or whatever that is, can, um, it can really help you to get through the boring bits. So it's all, all, all motivation, whatever form, is, is, is good in one way or another. Okay. Um, so fine. We, we seem to be going quite, <laughs> quite fast here. Um, so the final set of topics I wanted to talk about is, is around um, tips for enhancing creativity. Um, some of these are going to sound sensible, some of these might sound a bit flippant, um, but I assure you that all of them have come from a genuine study that someone has done somewhere. Um, we've, we've tested some of these out on a, on a group of uh, graduate students at Manchester Business School, and um, whilst I wasn't running it, as a proper, running it as a proper study to see whether they were more creative, they certainly seemed to enjoy it. So I've been trying to build some of these things into, into our workshops since. The first one, of course, is enjoying what you do. We've talked about that already. Um, uh, Chick sent me high. I think I pronounced that right. The uh, the, the the flow the flow guy um, talks about immersing yourself in, in everything you do by finding something meaningful in it, and this is this is quite strongly associated with creativity. Um, people who find that sort of thing easy have what, have what uh, Csikszentmihalyi calls an autotelic personality. Um, but this is something that, that we can all cultivate. So even if you're doing something boring, finding meaning in it helps you to be more fulfilled and, and thus more creative. Um, the second one, there's a, there's, a, there's a Dutch psychologist, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but uh, Dijks, he's called Dijk, Dijksterhuis. 
Um, he, he works at the, the University of Nijmegen. Um, please don't hit me for my, my pronunciation. Um, and he's done a lot of work into the role of the conscious and unconscious mind. Um, anybody who's read any Daniel Dennett may, may kind of be disputing whether it knows that there's a dispute as to whether consciousness is actually a thing and even exists. But I think for the, for the, for the purposes of this, I don't want to, we won't go down that rat hole. Um, so when, and what Dyson has says is that the, the, the unconscious mind um, is like a, is, is the, a, a crude metaphor would be that the, uh, the, the bits at the front are essentially the, the bits that, that deal with the, the conscious stuff that you're aware of. Um, and then there's a huge regions that the, 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 the vast majority of the brain produces stuff that you, you, will, you are not consciously aware of. And so the, the bit at the back is like a kind of massively parallel supercomputer and the bit at the front is like the kind of old school iPhone that can, that can do one thing at a time. And uh, so Dyson has this idea that, that if you really what you have to, that, that the, the unconscious mind is like, a, is like, it's as if you have two people in a room. Um, one of them is, uh, one of them is in, in enormously clever, but has a great deal of trouble communicating. Uh, the other one is, is much less clever, but, but very, very good at expressing themselves. Um, and so if you want to get the, uh, the quiet person, the, the quiet, clever person to, to, to be able to express themselves, you have to find a way to shut up the noisy one. Um, and so the, the, there's uh, the studies around the, a, lot of, a, lot of, a number of studies around this that show that if you if you distract your conscious mind uh, in, in various ways, you can even if by, by getting it to do something relatively straightforward that occupies a lot of but occupies a lot of power, like processing sequences of numbers, um, is it, that that will allow your subconscious unconscious mind to be able to to actually work on the problem. So you prime yourself to think about it, and then you go and do something that, that dis distracts the, the not very clever bits um, and, and hopefully that will that will help you that will help better ideas pop out at, at, at the end so uh, another thing for, for those of you who those of you who work with with brainstorming um, brainstorming was um, invented by an ad man called Alex Alex Osborne about 60 or 70 years ago um, the key principle was the idea that, that having lots of people working in a group um, will will come up with more ideas than people working individually um, but actually, what, uh, there's a, there's a meta-analysis of 20 studies that show that in most cases, people working on their own produce more and better ideas than, than people working in groups. Um, and this turns out, this is, this is universal, this is, this is a, a, across cultures. And uh, the, the, theory, the theory behind this is there is are a couple of, couple of principles. One is social loafing, and the other one is diffusion of responsibility. So the idea is that if you work on your own, um, you alone are responsible for success or failure of, of what you do. And you can either, if you're successful, you can take the glory. Um, and if you are unsuccessful, then it's entirely your fault. Um, the, the idea, if you, if you work in a group, uh, the, it's, it, that responsibility is, is diffused. And so if you succeed, you get to take some of the glory. But if you, equally, if you just sit back and don't do anything and, it do, and you don't succeed well, it's, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can share the blame as well. Um, so the, the theory that what we try to apply in, in the workshops that, that we run at Fjord is we balance um, opportunities for people to work in groups, which tends to be more, more energising for them, um, and also it, it helps, them, helps them share information, um, with exercises where we get them to, to work on their own um, and then present back, and then we find that that, that generates a, a, a lot more ideas. The other, the other interesting thing about, about groups is that if you, um, if, if you switch some members of groups, uh, this, this is borne out across several studies, you tend to get more creative results over time. 
Um, so there was a, there was a, a study that, that looked at people finding up with uses, coming up with uses for a box where people worked in threes and one member of the group switched every time. Um, and that turned out to be better than keeping team members the same. Uh, but I think the, the, the most fun example is, is around uh, Broadway musicals. Um, and so it, it, it turns out that uh, a, a good way of predicting whether a Broadway musical is going to be a success is to look at the production team and to see whether um, some of that team have worked together before. Uh, and so the, the, the theory behind this is that if you have a, a team has a successful musical, and quite often that team will stick together and go on and try to produce another, another musical. Um, but often that musical will, will not be successful, uh, perhaps because they are, they're trying to repeat some of the same ideas or they're, 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 they've, they've, got set in their, they've got a bit set in their ways working together. Equally, if you have a production team, none of whom has ever worked together before, um, there's, a, there's a good chance that that musical will not be a success either. Um, and the theory there is that they haven't really learned how, perhaps haven't learned to work, how, learned to work with each other yet. Um, but if you, uh, most successful musicals will have a team who, some of whom have worked together and some of whom have not. And the idea is that you've got that stability um, and strong relationships balanced with, with some input from, from, from new team members and, and, and new ideas. So another thing to try uh, is the idea of uh, if you've ever been in an exercise and someone says, we need to come up with some ideas for, for this, and someone says, well, how do we know that's even a good idea in the first place? Um, they, they, they might occasionally be annoying, but actually that's quite a good thing to do. Um, so people often jump to answers very quickly before they've, they've really thought about the problem. Um, and some re research suggests that spending some time reconceptualizing the, the, the problem actually helps you to come up with, with better results in the end. Um, so there's, there's a great example. There's a, a guy called Patrick Jordan who used to be head of, uh, head of design at Symbian. I think I don't know what, I'm not sure what he's doing now. Um, but he, I, I saw him speak, and he was talking about the idea of the, uh, the mobile phone. And this was, this was a long time ago, uh, back when phones didn't have things, didn't have maps on them, didn't really, you know, very few of them had, had more than basic internet access. Um, and it's saying that, you know, people have thought of this thing as being a communication tool. Um, and if you think of it as a communication tool, then, you, then you'll just design new ways to make phone calls and to send messages to, to other people. But actually, instead of being a, what's, what's made the phone so successful is that instead of being a communication tool, it's actually a way to be more disor to, to be disorganized and not suffer for it. Uh, so the vast majority of us are, are, are relatively disorganized from, from time to time. People who are very organized were probably organized before, long before mobile phones existed. Um, and instead of having to plan everything ahead, this is something that allows you to, to arrange to meet people on the fly. It's, it's now something that allows you to, to, to sort of find your way, not have to worry about where you're going in advance and trust that you can, you, can, you can find that out en route. So once you start to, once you think of it in, in, in those terms rather than as a communication tool, the possibilities for what you can, what you can do with it um, are, are much greater. Um, so another one is, uh, is the idea of uh, Janusian thinking. Um, you may, this is the, the Roman god Janus, who's generally shown as having two faces pointing in, in, in opposite directions. Um, so this, this is the idea that, um, it, the, that of thinking of two, trying to think of two impossible ideas at the same time. I think there's something from Alice in Wonderland about trying to have so many impossible ideas before breakfast. Um, and um, this, is, this, this is kind of a complicated one to apply to design. Um, if you, you could say, you could think about, um, if you're trying to design something social, simultaneously think about how you could make it antisocial. Um, throws, uh, throws up some interesting possibilities. And um, there's a really great example, which is uh, Niels Bohr, the physicist, who apparently used this method to understand the, the principle of complementarity in quantum theory. So this is the idea that, that light, is, uh, light is a wave and also a particle. 
um, and before he came up with that theory, the idea that the idea that this could this could nobody had, nobody had thought of this because that, that's such a apparently completely impossible thing to to, to happen. Um, but in order to come up with that integrated idea, um, he he had to had to think of the two opposites at the same time. So another thing you can try, and uh, I, I've bemused a whole load of, uh, of postgrads at, at, at Manchester um, with, with this. With many, for many of them, English was not their first language, and uh, uh, this is—I uh, I, I wouldn't try and read all of this. Just don't, don't, don't please don't. Um, but uh, this is this is the idea of, of absurd stimulation. So you may have, you, you may you may have lots of crazy stuff stuck on the walls around where you work. You may know people who do that. Um, it's actually all it's actually all quite effective. Um, this is the idea that if you um, if you make people read something absurd, um, like it could be this is a passage from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. Um, you could also use Kafka, um, Alice in Wonderland. Um, I'm sure there's I'm sure there are lots of examples in in, in Dutch as well. Um, if you if if you make people read something absurd or do something absurd, such as um, argue against their own existence as an individual, uh, which is uh, which is one that's been from one of the studies I found. Um, then you create um, what's called a meaning threat, which means that people can't rely on the assumptions that they've made about things around them or things about themselves anymore, and it starts to break those things down, which helps them to helps them come up with uh, with with more sort of with with more ideas. So uh, a very simple one um, is the idea of, of just looking at something unconventional. Um, and this can be as simple as one, there was one study. It's called unconventional priming. So it's, it could, I suppose it, you, you could relate it to the, to the meaning threat. Um, and this is just looking at something that, that sort of challenges your perceptions a little bit in some way. Um, again, helps you to come up with more ideas. And as one, one study, this is a very, very simple one. I'm not sure how clear it is on the projector. One of these X's is yellow and the rest are green. And just just something as simple as looking at something like that has been shown to uh, has been shown to create more ideas. Probably not if you keep doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> um, another very very flippant one: um, the uh, the presence of green things um, in create, in creative creative output can be plants. Plants are nice. Doesn't have to be plants. Anything green. Um, theory behind this is is that perhaps you know we associate green with nature. It makes us feel calm and positive. And I'm starting to sound like a hippie now, so I'm going to move on. Finally, um, another one is, uh, is, is, is lying down. Um, this is uh, being ably demonstrated by our, our director, Christian Lindholm, who you might know from his Nokia days. Um, and uh, this is lying down. Um, it, re it reduces the production of a hormone called noradrenaline, which is related to stress. Uh, when you're standing up, you produce more of this stuff. Uh, it makes you feel more stressed. It inhibits creativity. When you lie down, you feel more relaxed, and you, you produce less of it. So if you if you if you're feeling have a comfy place um, in your in your office or studio, where you can lie down, you can you can justify that. Um, and that was it for now. Some, uh, some references here that, uh, if you're interested in this stuff, you, you may like to you may like to follow up. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed you can say the flow guy. I always call him the flow guy. It took me, 20, so, took me 18 years to get that right. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be dead by then. Uh, any questions? Do we have any questions? Oh. Hi, how do you handle in within your teams uh, measuring the creativity? I mean, you described 
in your experience, uh, you described that uh, certain things in your character may increase creativity, certain uh, behavior can, some uh, conditions may, and motivation may, but um, in the end you compare results and you say, for example, this results were more creative than this, but then says who and how do you handle that? I suppose that, I mean, the most important thing that we, we look for is, um, this is not science at all, uh, the most important thing that we look for is does it, does it really solve the problem that we were, whether it's a client problem or, or, or whatever. Um, a degree of unconvention, unconventionality, I think, is usually involved. So would we, is this the obvious solution that we would have expected someone to come up with or is it, or is it not? Um, if it's not obvious, that's, I think, seem to be good, but obviously it's still got to address the problem. Um, so I think there is a, there is a, we do tend to value things that are a bit different, perhaps, from what we might expect. But, you know, sometimes the obvious answer is the right one. So it's, it's not all about, um, it's not all about being creative for the sake of it. Thank you. Any, uh... If you define it like that, isn't that then just being a good practitioner? I mean, you come up with the correct answers. Um, that does not sound to me like creativity. I think you, you, in order, you have a greater likelihood of coming up with the correct answers if you are, if you are more creative in, in solving the problem. Or if you've put in the flying hours. I mean, some people say if you work 10,000 hours, you're, uh, you're an expert in something. I think that's, you, have to, you, have to, um, you have to be an expert. You have to become an expert in something. There's, uh, Csikszentmihalyi did um, some study, a lot of work around creative people and uh, we didn't I, I, we didn't didn't touch on it here but uh, there's the idea that to you know related to that you have to put in um people he, he talks about big c and little c creativity um and big c creativity is people like darwin and and newton um who have changed their who have changed their field in some way um and small c creativity is the kind of stuff that we we all do sort of multiple times a day and he says that you can't get to Big C creativity in your, um, you know, without putting without putting the, a, a lot of work in. But interestingly, in different fields, people tend to reach that point at, uh, at at different points in their career. So writers don't tend to make much of an impact until they get to about 50. Uh, whereas physicists, um, it, nuclear, theoretical physicists, if they haven't made a major contribution to the field by the time that they're about 28 or 30, then it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, well, well, I've done. I am a psychologist officially. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and I've done some stuff about expert psychology, but because uh, to me, I mean, Darwin is genius, and I'm not sure if. I mean, maybe you need to be creative to become genius. Okay, but but the 10,000 hour work you put into it does seem to return and return. I think even Mozart, even though he was young, I mean, he just started really young. Mm. And he put in the 10,000 hours before he even became... So that's I, what I, I'm missing a bit. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the, the Robin... The, I suppose there's, there's, there's two things. There's the, the, the Robin Dunbar stuff we talked about. So, you know, he studied biologists and he worked out that the most creative ones were basically putting a lot, an awful lot of hard work in. Um, and I think, that, you know, there's, there's, it, it, it does depend... You, you, have to, you have to master whichever field you are, you are in before you have a chance of doing something genuinely creative with it. But uh, in certain fields, um, 
you can get to creative, certain fields creative, you won't get anywhere without creativity. In, in other fields, um, creativity acts, you know, perhaps more scientific stuff, um, creativity acts as a shortcut. So you, you, can, you, you can do an awful lot of, an awful lot of work and, and, and get to a certain point, but actually a, a degree of creativity may help you um, have more ideas faster and may help short-circuit some of that, of that route. What, kind of, what kinds of uh, setups do you have in mind when you talk about shutting up the, the stupid but, but noisy part of oneself? So the, 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 the stuff that the, the, the research, what, what tends, to happen, that tends to be done in research studies is uh, quite cleverly designed tasks to, um, which, require, which are not difficult um, but require a lot of effort. So it's, it's things like, um, not necessarily suggesting you do this in the workplace, but it's things like um, sequences of numbers which are relatively easy to, to predict. Um, so, you know, a number increases by, every, one number increases by three, the next number increases by four, that, 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 that kind of thing. Um, they, they require a bit of, it requires a lot of thought, but it's not difficult. Um, I, I've tried, to, there's no evidence basis for this at all, but I, I've, I've tried doing it with, with people by throwing tennis balls around um, at each other. So just, just something, I, I don't know whether it, it makes any difference whether or not it's, whether or not it's physical, but it's, it, the, the point is something that requires a bit of concentration, but, but isn't, is a simple task. Any more questions? Hi, um, you were speaking really fast, so to make sure that I didn't miss anything, the notes that you're referring to, is that on the site blog? The note that, um, site blog is a, is recommended, is a psychology blog, which uh -huh. if you're interested in this stuff, I would, I would, there's, um, the notes are in the, on the slides, which are up on SlideShare. Uh-huh. So I can, I can send you the, I, I can send you the, That's you know, what I'm interested in. Okay. So, along with the other stuff, and I also missed who the guy in Rotterdam was, or that you referred to somebody from Holland, a psychologist. Nijmegen. Um, Nijmegen. Dijksterhuis. Okay. Do we have any more questions? Oh, no. In the back. Hey there. Um, so, I think this might be related to one of the questions about activities and things you just did. One of the really interesting graphic design exercises uh, professors make their students do, which I always find fascinating, uh, having done it, is they, uh, when they are drawing logos, you know, go buy a fruit or a vegetable at a store and draw that thing, and then draw it like 300 times. So the act of drawing it seems to kick off something in the brain. I'm wondering if that's a little bit related to what you're referring to about the... Uh, making yourself think about something, or not think about something, but doing something. Doing something to distract yourself from thinking, prime yourself to think about the problem, do something that distracts you, and then... Well, this one is a, yeah, I don't know if it's about distraction, but it's about purposefully making yourself draw, and students find themselves, they'll draw the same thing, they'll draw the same thing, and sometime around, like, number 20, something happens, and they notice something, and they start a new thing, and they're drawing the exact same object. And then if you look over the course of the 300 times they've done it, there's like these places where something is obviously kicked off in their brain. So I mean, I, I always find that as an interesting exercise is just whenever I, I get myself into a rut, just literally, you know, do the same thing with it over and over and over until something kicks off in my brain. I'm just 
Not sure if you've seen that or, or, or heard about that. Yeah, kind of no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a really interesting example. I mean, I, I wonder if it, you know, maybe it's related to the, to the unconscious issue. I wonder, do you, do you think that would work for interaction design? Uh, that's, that's specifically what I mean, yeah. is when I get myself stuck in a problem, I just keep doing just, you know, in my sketchbook, I'll draw the same thing many times until something happens. I think it's, it's really nice to be able to... Hey, you know, sometimes that's the way it works. It's really, it's really nice to be able to believe in that process. And, uh, you know, I think if, if sometimes it, it would be tempting if you were drawing the same thing over and over and again to get quite frustrated with yourself. And I think it's quite nice to have that as a positive exercise and feel just to trust that something will, will come from it. Just out of interest, how many people here recognise that, that, that what, what Andre was saying and the, the thing about uh, doing something, disrupt, distracting your, uh, your conscious mind? How many people is that familiar? How many people is it familiar that uh, that you 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 get creative if you distract your unconscious mind? Yeah. I'm just out of interest. Does anyone have any their, their own t any of their own tips that they're willing to share with people? Okay. Um, throw away your dishwasher and do the dishes every evening. <laughs> Works. Any other ones? <laughs> you mentioned uh, lying down. I was uh, wondering, the opposite, <coughs> does it always improve creativity, uh, running or...? or uh, I don't know. Um, I've not seen any, I've not, I've not found any evidence for it when I when my research, but I'm, I'm guessing that maybe that works on the distraction principle. Yeah. Some, someone over there. Um, I used to be a graphic designer, so when I, in the past, when I was stuck, I usually go shopping, and it helps. <laughs> I used to use that one as well, no, I agree. I don't go shopping, but I love to do Sudokus. <laughs> that helps me That's to get creative. What about listening music? Whatever, whatever, whatever helps you. I, yeah. I, I don't have any. Uh, I think. I think there's there, there's an there's an important lesson there here for anybody who anybody who, who manages people or, or anybody who uh, you know who works in a corporate environment that might be a that you know perhaps might be a little bit rigid is that uh, you know you can't you can't always force yourself to have ideas on schedule. Sometimes you have to to, to do other things and then they, they appear when they appear. Um, what do you think about creativity uh, methods like um, the, the Walt Disney method? Have you heard about that? I haven't actually. What's oh, <laughs> no, I <laughs> oh, t tell me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, um, uh, I tried to explain it. Um, I'm from Germany, so uh, I can't do it in Dutch. Sorry. Um, it's a, you are inside of a room and you make it with, no, please, <laughs> you make it uh, with a team and you choose uh, like three corners and then the first corner you have your dreams and you build up what you wanted to do and without any uh, restrictions. And then you are going, after that you are going in the next corner and then, then you look a little bit more like from a client side and say, oh no, and that's not really possible and da da da, and then you go to the last corner and then you maybe look more about the budget and uh, can we build this with the things we have. And then you go again in the first corner and then you, you with the knowledge you have after the second and the third corner, you go again and build it up. No, have you, but 
there are a lot of others. It, Have you heard about that? I haven't heard, I haven't heard of that one. It, it, it sounds interesting. It sounds a little bit like De Bono. <laughs> Um, but uh, who I'm, uh, yes, who I was criticised. But I, I guess it's, there are, from, my, from, from a pragmatic perspective, I think the important thing is that it, there, there is no wrong way to, to, there's no wrong way to have an idea, but there are, there are things that help. Um, and if it feels like it helps you, that's, that's great. But it's uh, having, a, having a, a mixture of tools that you can rely on and being able to, being able to, to choose between those and, get, and, stop, and stop it if it's not working as well. Um, one more question. One more. Last. Yeah, uh, under high pressure and stress, there seems to be uh, also coming a lot of good cr uh, creative ideas, like in a war situation. I mean, like really things are being made like nuclear bombs. It's like a bit, it's not the creative, yeah. I mean, but uh, is this, this means to be, it's, it's also good to have a lot of pressure on you. I think there's, there's two types of, there are two types of stress. Uh, there's EU stress, uh, EU stress in English, um, which is which is which is good, which is where you, you're under pressure, but you feel able to to respond to what you need to be able to do, and that's kind of a that's when you're um, you know full of fight or flight hormones and, and able to you know able to take things on, um, and that's that's you know at, at a per I assume we're talking at a personal level rather than at a kind of you know if a country is at war they get have great innovations. Yeah. Um, but uh, so when you are when you when you are under you stress, um, you are likely to perform very highly and, and you know and, and, and do lots of great stuff. And um, when you're under, if that tips over into distress, um, then your uh, performance at anything, creativity or, or otherwise, is, is likely to be damaged quite badly. Um, and that's when you feel that the demands of the situation are much greater than you're able to, to respond to, and it becomes a negative thing. And that then you start to be kind of charged up by so a by bit that. of stress is actually good so, so stress itself is neither good, good or stress. bad it's yeah. but there, there is good stress and bad stress and you yeah. try and use the good stress survive stress <laughs> okay thank you ladies and gentlemen claire Rowland.